recording live from the party that Pete Schneider just threw to celebrate finally having a real offensive lineman. It's the Seahawks Nest Podcast. Hi, you guys. I'm your host, uh, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Eric Sloan to my Kurt Sloan. That's Eric Ronnebeck. Yeah, okay. And the t- <laughs> and the Tong Po to our Sloan brothers, Ooh. Kevin Garber. <laughs> Well played. I'm just over here flute dancing my way through the end zone. Yeah, well, that's true. But uh, you know, Tong Po is a is a true villain. So Kevin, uh, that's that's probably why you decided you to know, play. You know what Nathan? Always good. You know what Nathan wants right now, Kevin? Naksu Cow. Naksu Cow. Naksu Cow. I don't. All right, that's it. Anyway, uh, Kickboxer is a good movie. You should watch it. <laughs> so. so uh, I'm, uh, it's blood sport with kicking more. Eh, it's it's, it's, exactly it's right. not based on a true story like blood sport. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I got to get my shots in at Frank Dukes while he's still alive. Uh, I am so, Frank. Dukes. So we are joining you in a joyous Seahawks day because not only not only did our Seahawks get a intensely satisfying victory last Sunday. <sighs> no, not just that. We gotta we gotta let's not bury the lead here. We're at a party for one reason and one reason only. That's to celebrate the fact that the Seahawks just traded Jeremy Lane, a 2018 uh, fifth-round pick and a 2019 second-round pick for left tackle Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown, who has ranked in the top 15 in pro football focus rating at left ta- at tackle for the last five consecutive years. Eric, yeah. how does it feel to know that Russell Wilson's blindside will be blocked by a person who actually is a professional football player i'm glad that you asked me this question no offense to uh rich uh odiambo you filled in admirably and honestly you just came off your probably best game of the season or second best game of the season but you are a uh, you are a good you're a good depth player not you're not operating on quite you're this a level. swing tackle before I, I like you, you uh, i like you reese i hope you stick around for many years <laughs> before you we go deep diving with kevin on the offensive line uh it's good that i get to get this out of the way first with odiambo I thought he filled in as good as we expected Fant to be this year, realistically. The fact that we have an upgrade there is a huge upgrade in a sense that look what our offensive line does. As far, and Kevin can really break this down further, as far as pass blocking goes, our pass blocking this year isn't bothering me, especially from the left side. The last two games, the team has pass blocked good enough. Good enough. It's giving Russell time to throw. The right side is still an abomination. And there's no run blocking to be spoken. That's the thing. Hold on. Before we get there, before we get there, Kevin will will help us see if we can rotate some players that were maybe playing at the left side to the right to help non-Effetti our lineup. But the run blocking has been a problem on all, you like that, on all sections of the line. I'd actually, with with this, uh, it, it could just be running back, but... With See, this uh, Dwayne Brown edition, it get me very excited. Okay, let me just say, Ethan Posich is a is a NFL caliber starting guard right now. Um, I think he brought something to our line that he stabilized the left side of that line to the point where I was fine. I was fine with Odiambo and and Posich like for the rest of the year. I was like, you know what, they can play well together. They're they're decent enough. Uh, yeah, they had some busted plays. Definitely, there are some busted plays. Um, they're, they're both young though. And so I was like, you know what? They'll grow through that. Those are growing pains that now I'm just like, Oh great. Now Dwayne Brown is going to get to play next to, uh, next to postage. And they're going to be awesome. Like I, I, I fully expect the left side of our line to be very good. And I think the guy honestly who should get bumped is, is I hate to say this cause he has played decently, but it's Ode Abushi. I think Ode Abushi, at least Effetti, gives you flashes of brilliance that you can see him stabilizing next to a better offensive lineman. So if we put Jokel over on the right, or if we put uh, Posich over on the right and bring Jokel back on the left, the I could see Effetti at least being good, good. Not great, but good. Because he has flashes where you're just like, man, he blew that guy up. He also has flashes where he literally does nothing on the entire play. He just like stands up and then <laughs> guys run around him and you're like, what were you supposed to do on this play? I'm very confused. This is exactly the conversation that I had with Kevin on the way over here tonight. So this is awesome. Um, so, yep. Yeah, I mean, the, exact point. And the thing about Effetti is it's, I, I just, I like him though. He's he, There are flashes and I, I'd rather take a chance on the young guy who shows flashes than kick Jokel over to right tackle and put Abushi out there and we know what we're getting if we do that. It there's upside with the uh the Afedi postage pairing. Would you agree with that, Kevin? 
Uh, I would agree. I think that Posich has definitely come in. He has one clear weakness, and that is a strong bull rush can push him back, which he's a little underweight, and he was playing center um, in college, which tends to be a lower weight position. He didn't come so in it's with not a, surprising. Would you agree he didn't come into the NFL with an NFL-ready body? Yes, exactly. And that's part of why he didn't get to start right he's away. He's going to put on some good weight over the offseason, and he could be fully ready to play NFL-level guard next year. At this point... I am not very worried about losing Jokel because I feel like that's going to get us probably a third-round pick. And also, and, uh, Postage is going to step in and provide the same level of play. Don't rush don't rush Jokel back at this point either. Nope. Get him back fully healthy, healthy so that when he, when he comes back, I want him back in week 16, week 17, week uh, after the bye. <laughs> Calling my <laughs> shot right there. <laughs> after the bye. Those are the weeks that I want him. I don't want him. In, I don't care if he's back next week, whatever, or two weeks from now. We can. We have time now. We actually have decent offensive line depth. It's super weird. I would also say that I want to. I would be willing to give Odiombo a shot at winning Effetti's job. Okay. I think that Odiombo showed equal flashes of greatness, and I think it's possible that he could end up being. Um, because he's also a young player, he only he's, he mm-hmm. came out the year after Effetti. Yep, and, or the year before Effetti. I mean, yeah, and he's a third and round pick too. It's not, like he's, pick. it's not like we spent some terrible pick to get him. Yeah, and so I think it's kind of nice. Like we talked about this before, when Odiabo slides in as your swing tackle and you have a legitimate left tackle, we have a pretty average offensive line, and Posich has played at the same level that we got from Jokel. One thing I don't like about Odiambo is at this point, I know exactly what I'm getting. I feel like the last two weeks, we've kind of seen Odiambo figure out how to pass block and not how to run block at all. And But he doesn't miss assignments. I really want to. I really want us to get back to running the ball, and I don't think we can do that with Odiambo at right tackle. And Effetti at right tackle, he's going to blow some dudes up sometimes. He's going to make some plays that make you go, whoa. Yeah, he'll be a 10 and a 2. Yeah, which I... I want to get back to explosive runs, eight yards on first down. Stuff like that just doesn't happen in this offense anymore. How many how many rushes did we have in the last game? Uh, Fifteen. Fifteen rushes, and they were and we did not run the ball well at all. Uh, Russell Wilson no longer keeps on the option because he's so he doesn't want to get blown up. I don't blame him. Like it's not like anything he can you know he should be blamed for. But the fact that we ran. Uh, 15 times. Eddie Lacy had six rushes for zero yards, and J.D. McKissick had four rushes for six yards, and Thomas Rawls had six rushes for negative one yards. Uh, I would like to say this is really annoying, the way the run game went, because Lacy ran okay and had a negative six-yard run that really just killed anything they had going. He had like a negative six and a negative two. Rawls you know, had a couple of decent short runs and then had a negative five and a negative two. We're talking about when you're handed the ball, you're being tackled simultaneously. Yeah. And McKissick had another one that was like negative three, where it was the same thing, where it's like, here's the ball. Oh, you're down. <laughs> you're down. That, that gives, but let's be real. negative three gives him the best running performance. Let's of the be day. real. The longest non quarterback run of the day was four yards. Oh, it wasn't a good run day, but I mean, like, it was magnified. I mean, no one, and I want to finish talking about Brown, and this is um, part of that. No one could block Clowney. Clowney yeah. absolutely had his way with our entire line. No matter where and he went. And so did DJ Reader. DJ Reader, their defensive tackle, had his way with our line. Uh, I really liked, I mean, I think Clowney is an incredible talent, and I think that we, it would have been a real treat to see him and J.J. Watt play the whole season as a fan of, like, High level NFL football and merciless, um, but but you know Jadavian Clowney has stayed has stayed healthy the whole season, and I think he's starting to take make the leap right into like a, a true disruptive for, disruptive force, a la like Calais Campbell or one of those uh, you know three four defensive ends like that. He's looking like a top five D end. Now the thing that's cool about Dwayne Brown is he opens up so many options though. Like if we were going against Jadavian Clowney, and we had Dwayne Brown. We can leave Dwayne Brown out on an island. We can say, hey, you block your guy, and we'll use these other four guys to pick up these three. We can just say, you block your guy all game. That's it. That's not an option that we really had with our current offensive line at all. Uh, The other thing that I think is interesting is, if you look, Russell Wilson can still make plays with his legs. And part of the problem has been, 
where maybe he'd have taken off in the past. And Okung usually was pretty good at handling the isolation block on the backside. Yes. So he knew that if the right tackle gave it up, because Breno Giacomini was was never a great pass-blocking right tackle, when the right tackle gave up the pressure, he would escape between the tackle and the guard, which would force the defensive end to have to come back across the front of the tackle. Which means, in this case, if it was a Fetty, the defensive end is basically behind the play, and it allows a Fetty to get an arm on him one more time, and basically just says, Russell Wilson, your job is to beat the defensive end to the edge and get some yards, which he can do. The problem has been that he's getting the pressure from both edges, and so if there's anything up the middle that jams up the hole, he has no shot at escaping. So by shoring up the one side, in addition to any one true offensive lineman theory, it means that there's a logical way for Russell Wilson to think about escaping the pocket. Well, also, Kevin, <clears throat> when he's running to the right, like uh, he'll get pressure from the left. They'll overload the left-hand side, and so he'll run to the right. You'll see a Fetty or <laughs> we know Glowinski is really good at this. Uh, you know, Russ will run to the outside hoping that the – the blocker will take the inside block and they won't know what to do. And I feel like shuffling guys over will give, like you said, Russ a bigger plane to plan. Meaning like instead of having to run towards the sideline, he can just run right and then cut back in. He will have blockers giving him more lanes to make decisions out of. Yeah. Cause like uh Brit, Brit knows what he needs to do on a block. Um, say what you will about Abushi's limitations, but Abushi knows the right read to make and is in the position and makes the block that needs to be made. And so if a Fetty can just kind of figure out a game plan and run it reliably, like that's that's a big thing because now we, again, we have one position to genuinely worry about. We have three bang average offensive linemen and one above average one. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, like I said, um, Dwayne Brown, 2012, was first in the NFL in pro football focus rating. And then every year after that, he's, he's around 10th to 15th. And that's with diminishing talent on the line that is around him, which does affect your rating. Yeah. And it will here in Seattle. But well, I have a theory about this. That one offensive lineman can make a whole offensive line play a lot better. One really good offensive lineman. I've said this for a long time that an offensive line can kind of rise up around one guy because it allows you to it allows you to scheme so differently. When you just say, "Hey, you put your hat on this hat, and we can, we trust that you're going to be able to make that block every time." Now, before with the Seahawks, everyone has to help everyone, and everyone's overloaded all the time, right? And you have to think about a million things when you do it. Now, guys can just go out there and play with one thing in mind, right? Like one mission. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm super into it. Uh, JRB asked about Posich um, on Twitter, and we've talked about him a little bit. But I want to bring up how because he played 100 percent of the snaps. In yeah, this gonna, game, that's what I was going to say. The team which is the team, great. The team made a clear choice. Yep, which was the right choice. And I think something to take in mind. I talked about it last week, and I saw it again this week. Posich can make blocks in space, and he can get up to the second level in the run game really well. Having a guy like Brown he's, he's who can seal the backside on a run, because if you tell Brown, okay, you're sealing the backside, he he can do it. He can wall off the backside pursuit. And that means that Posich can be your lead blocker on a run play. Like if you're running a trap or if you run a sweep, you can use Posich as a pulling guard, which he's really athletic, uh, just like you said. And so... Pulling with Posich without getting trapped from the backside, Rawls and McKissick are going to make hay on runs to the right side. Lacey, I still just don't think he's fast enough to make stretch runs. He needs to be run power up the middle only. But I think Rawls and McKissick, you're going to start seeing some runs to the right with uh, Posich pulling that are going to go for like really decent yards. Let's uh, let's. Let's not leave out the rest of this trade. Okay, let's talk about the things that we gave up. Okay, we gave up our fourth fifth. and potentially in a minute fifth, fifth best corner. Oh, oh, let's, let's do that last. Fifth round pick. Okay. Second round pick in 2019. If Dwayne Brown walks after... He's two years left in his contract. If he walks after 2019, uh, it's very likely we would get a third or fourth round compensatory pick for him. So we're going from a third... From a second to a third or fourth rounder. 
which is fine. That's you know you you add it all together on the value chart. It's not it's not like a if then choice. Right. Um. Jeremy Jeremy Lane. We lost Jeremy Lane. Uh, Jeremy Lane had some good years as Seahawks as our slot corner and was pretty good, but he has not been the same since he came back from his injury. Um, I he felt like he should have gotten more opportunities, I think, and uh, the team disagreed. And he'll get a chance to prove us wrong because he's instantly the third best corner on the on the Texans. Yeah. And they've had injury problems at cornerback all season. So he'll get a chance to prove that he deserves to play in the NFL. And I wish him the best of luck. I, I he had some great he had some great years in a Seahawks uniform. So good without Jeremy Lane, I feel like we Win another so win. much we should have won that uh, that New England Patriots Super Bowl. Don't forget, you know, he broke his arm and broke his knee. In, yeah, in uh, the same play. Game. Basically broke his career. Well, exactly, Kevin. And while still making an interception. Yes. So for that, I will never forget Jeremy Lane. Yeah, that was an excellent play. And uh, I don't have anything against Lane. Like you said, uh, we wish him the best of luck. I hope he does well. I hope he's able to put his career back together. And show that he's a quality player. In the it's NFL. just in, injuries. Injuries get guys differently, you know. And some guys are just never quite the same after they get a major injury like that. And he yeah. he had a very very major injury. And there's a situation in Seattle where Griffin is clearly the future, and Coleman came in and showed that he can lock down that slot <laughs> corner spot, and that meant that Lane was the loose piece. Well, let's face it. I don't. I mean. I maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. I didn't expect Coleman to be such an integral part of the defense when we got him. I thought like, oh, this is depth. And I on this podcast we talked about it being depth, and he turned out to be a really solid piece for us. He's a really, really solid player. Yeah, and it's, we, it's an example of a guy stepping up in a system. And we play in the nickel a lot, mostly because our third linebacker is terrible. But it, I mean, it also we just like to play in the nickel. And Bra- it's kind of a calculated thing. Brad McDougald also played twenty percent of snaps. Brad McDougald watch. Uh, he's real good. He's also really good on special teams. I've been trying to watch him on special teams now because he gets like every special team snap. He makes good tackles. Yeah, him and Nico Thorpe are two like special teams guys who play every single special teams play, and yeah. I think they're both real good. Uh, so, do you want to start deep diving offense or defense first? Uh, go ahead, Kevin. You pick. Right, Player's well, choice. <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, let's roll through the offense real quick. So, I think that we can all agree that we threw too much. But it but it worked out okay. And the key to the offense, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to complain about it. And the key to the offense was the deep pass. Yeah, uh, Russell Wilson on deep passes was six for nine for 221 yards and a touchdown. I, I, I want to say too, we don't. A lot of the advanced stats that we like to use aren't out yet because we're recording on Monday instead of uh, instead of uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. So just just to be aware that I'm a little shy on stats this week. Um, so, Kevin, you're going to have to carry the load. That's good, because uh, I can tell you that he had a 54-yard bomb to Lockett. Mm-hmm. He had a 48-yard bomb to Peerich. He had a 53-yard throw to McAvoy. And he had a 66-yard catch and run on play action to Trey Madden that they did not see coming. Which would have uh, been a touchdown if it were caught by anyone other than Trey Madden. Not that Trey Madden did a good job. Right he was, I just, that was did, a good joke. At the end, you know, I'm not going to give you credit for it. He did. He did run out of steam <laughs> at the end. It was those extra pounds he put on the fullback. <laughs> um, but that was... Uh, I, we... Um, Rusk was clearly comfortable throwing the 50-50 ball. Uh, threw it up to Baldwin, which Baldwin was getting double teamed a lot. Um, that's why he mostly caught a few shorter passes. And uh, Richardson and Lockett stepped up. They and Jimmy Graham, had their best Jimmy Graham there. had a good game too. Jimmy Graham, let's give credit for, where credit is due. He yeah. played really good in this game. Except he should have had that touchdown. He had other touchdowns instead. Yeah, he played still, really good in this game. He he had a good game. He was at eighty-seven point seven pro pro football focus rating. Like, and he on the last play of the game, like he really just like he turned that seam route and just like was right there. It was perfect. That was perfect timing. I agree. Yeah, he like knew exactly where on the field he was supposed to be. It felt like what other teams do to us. Uh-huh. Uh, Paul uh, Paul Richardson, though, I mean, this guy stepped up. This game, I I'm, shouldn't say this game. This season, Paul Richardson looked like Doug Baldwin looked three years ago. Like, so much synergy between he and Russell and stepping up into this big role. And I'm not saying Richardson's going to be the next Baldwin, but what I'm saying is this guy has moved into the number two spot in the receiving core, and that is ahead of Jimmy Graham. That is ahead of of Tyler Lockett. And that's impressive. That's really tough to do. Uh, Richardson had 81% of snaps. He was the wide receiver on the field the most over Doug. 
Wow. Um, and Doug, I got think the, Doug got the most targets, though. Doug got 10 targets. So, I Which mean, he should. If you're, if you're looking, Doug's still the number one wide receiver, but Paul Richardson has clearly established himself as number two. And he's, um, he's the high upside that we knew Curse would never have. Yeah. And the thing about Paul Richardson is, is we've been saying this for years. If he can stay healthy, he's he's really good. He's a really good player. He's above he's an above average NFL football player, um, which is what you want from your number two wide receiver. You just want him to be above average. He doesn't need to be great. Look at a guy like Mohamed Sanu, who's made a whole career about being up just slightly above average. Okay? <laughs> yeah. I would I would have killed for Mohamed Sanu, <clears throat> Sanu some years for the Seahawks. And then uh, Lockett had his best game of the season, both statistically and I think. He actually used his speed, and he had a couple of returns that looked good. I think that he's looking a little quicker, and he's using his speed a little more comfortably. I think he's finally recovering from injury fully. Yeah. I, he's turning the corner. I mean, he's clearly the number three, uh, or number four, maybe, guy in the offense, right? Like in terms uh, Behind of Jimmy, game. possibly, yeah. yeah. But 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 he get, but he's going to get his. And when we spread it out with Jimmy, Tyler, Doug, and Paul all in the field at the same time, it creates matchup problems for other teams. Those guys are all hard to cover. Yeah, you're and, picking someone to not cover well. Right. And all those guys can take advantage of that. And hey, we might have a line that gives them time to do it. Because this game, Russ had time. Yeah. And it resulted in 452 yards and four touchdowns. Well, right. with Tyler Lockett, I also feel like, you know, He's getting his speed back every game. He's getting faster. But Russ still doesn't know where he's at. You can tell when Russ overthrows so many balls. Yeah, or that option route where Tyler, yes. didn't, Tyler didn't finish the route and he curled it back instead. and then, uh, and then Or he just assumed Russ would be running and, and he I, started to, to bring it back. And that's fair. I mean, I know in the, in our chat we talked about how uh, – what did you say, Kevin, that was – it's understandable, but it was on the receiver. It's one of those things where you know it's going to happen, and you understand how it happens, but it's on the receiver to know what the quarterback wants. I feel like they're going to click, though. I and mean, when they click, that is going to be something well, very six awesome. catches on eight targets, so it's not like they were yeah. out on the same page the whole game. And that makes two or three games in a row where... Uh, his catch percentage is well above fifty percent. And Wilson's time to throw is still one of the sl- slowest in the league, and I, that is going to be hard for any offensive line to cover. And there were times in this game where I was getting frustrated, where I was like, "This line is not good enough to hold on for this long. Just throw the ball. Just throw it away. Just, yeah. just run. Just do something else." Like I was just getting frustrated because I feel like there's small Four adjustments. Four seconds we need is to an make. eternity. Yeah, that's just just <laughs> let it go. Like this, uh, we know the offensive line's not good, and the fact that. They've held on for more than two or three seconds. Like you should have already had it out, right? Like so, I look at the stats. Like when I see on PFF, it says that he was pressured on over a third of his dropbacks, and I think, yeah, but on maybe half of the, that third, he held the ball forever. And I, I feel like a little bit the offensive line does get hung out to dry a little bit. Uh, they get hung out to dry, and it's difficult to block for a mobile quarterback anyway, right? We've heard that for years. Yeah. That's yep. a trope in the NFL, and Russ Russell has done a Russell did a good job in this game. Is even when the pressure came, it came so late that he could just chuck it up to single coverage or do something. You know what I mean? And try to create something in that way. Yeah. So I think that they played a smart game, and also he drew like two really baller late hit penalties. <laughs> the officiating in this game wasn't making me angry, but they. They set the tone for the game, but not in a like we're going to stop the defense from doing this, or we're there going were some to weird calls. They were though. just it was like weird. We're going to set up weird calls. Yeah, it was really strange. Yeah, we had ten penalties for 120 yards. Houston had eight for 93. Um, it's you, like the refs took prop bets on penalties. That's the thing. You can't be mad if it's that close. Time though. of possession was very even. Uh, we were five of twelve on third down, which is okay, not great. Uh, like the biggest gap on the offense was the fact that we just couldn't run the ball. Um, we had no no rushing game to be spoken. Yeah, of. we shut down their run game and they ran laps around us still. Yeah. Um, unsung hero for the offense, none other than Pete Carroll himself saving those timeouts. Tanner McAvoy, fifty three yard catch. Trey Madden, sixty six yard catch. You know, I would we say had so many unsung heroes, Eric. Speaking of yeah. uh, speaking of Pete Carroll, the challenge on the Luke Wilson fumble recovery. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we right. have given Pete, Pete so much crap hero. to Pete Carroll for his terrible challenges over the year. Way to go, Uncle Pete. Way to, way to go. Yeah, I like that. I like that we were we were challenging that and we were saying no, we did fumble it. It wasn't yes. it wasn't yes. incomplete. We did fumble. And Jadavion Clowney was so pissed. And he's like, no, because he got up and was like. That's a fumble. And then, and then Luke Wilson got it. He's like, no, it wasn't. 
No, I I mean it's it's the coach's job to manage the clock and do the best we can, but we don't win that game unless we have the timeouts. And uh, you know, we didn't have Andy Reid running our team. We had a great opportunity and uh an opportunity to win the game that we we snatched victory out of the claws of defeat, whatever you want to call it. It was I was really impressed with time management and clock management in this game. And scoring with twenty one seconds left oh, puts so much pressure on their offense. Clowney, Clowney was uh, was amazing against us, though, Kevin. You're right. Just to go back to that, uh, the 96.6 Pro Football Focus rating and all that stuff. He, he was just he was really incredible. Oh, he had like four game. run stops. He had a ton of pressures. Seven hurries. Man, it was he two was tackle, a one man pass rush. Two run two run stops behind the line of scrimmage. Yep. Um, but yeah, all right. So um, let's go to the other side of the ball. The defense. The defense was really. Okay. <laughs> Do you want me to? Is that, is that how I want to say? Why I don't you? I feel why like, don't you start? I cannot because give the, I, cannot I would give like them, to vehemently disagree with you. So I, I want you to fully state your opinion. Okay, so ve- you want to vehemently disagree with the? Okay, they gave up 548 yards. That's a lot of yards. Um, they, uh, they, they. Here, I'll give you something. They did good. They did really good on third down. They were uh, Houston was two of ten on third downs. Um, they got they fin they got to the the quarterback. They had. Uh, what five sacks, Kevin? Is that right? They had five sacks and I think uh, like nine hurries. Uh, big or QB hits. Uh, big plays were back. Like um, we had a couple interceptions, but like overall, um, we allowed. We still are allowing like these toxic differential plays that are just gonna dri- that are driving me up the wall. The seventy-two yard DeAndre Hopkins catch, the fifty-nine yard Will Fuller catch. Uh, the fact that like Deshaun Watson and Lamar Miller were able to create an effective run, effective enough run game that they were able to to keep drives alive. I mean, they only had ten third downs the whole game. So like, the fact that they were able to move the ball so effectively without even needing third down, um, yeah, the defense was just real okay. Um, there were aspects of it, things they did real good, and uh, you can't keep giving up these huge plays and expect to win football games. Uh, the, that toxic differential stuff will kill you in the NFL. And I felt like we were very fortunate to uh, to kind of escape. Um, if you would have told me the Texans were going to score 38 points in this game, I would have said there's no way we're going to win. If you would have asked me before the game started, uh, 38 points is, is a lot of points to give up at home. In fact, it's like almost as many points. We've given up the whole season, like up to this point. We'd only given up like 90-something. So 38 is a big chunk of our total points we've given up the whole season. So, um, yeah, I felt like the defense was all right. Um, they came, they came up big at the end a couple of times when they needed to, but I mean, also with four forty nine left, they gave up a 72 yard pass to Dondre Hopkins. So like, how can I really say like they came up big at the end when they needed to, like they also almost gave it, coughed it up when they really needed a stop too. So there, that's how I feel about the defense. They were all over the place. Okay, you you were a lot harsher on the chat, so I thought you were gonna come down a little bit harder on them. We so, we all have they were like, really they were really okay. Like the the Houston Texans have scored a lot of points on everyone they've played so far this year. So I can't say like, but I would have liked to see us do better than everyone else. Does that make sense? Like since since Deshaun Watson took over, this is the highest scoring offense in the league, and I would have I would have been nice to for us to have been. To done to, what we did against the Rams when they were the highest scoring right offense. to slow them down at some point and we didn't we didn't slow them down and it does worry me if in the playoffs we play against an explosive defense are we going to be able to not cough up all these big plays that's kind of where I'm at right now I don't want to lose because we give up a 72 yard like in the in the Titans games another example of this where we just give up these yep. big plays all the time this stuff didn't used to happen to the Seahawks we never gave up big plays it was like the hallmark of our defense and I know for a fact on in the in the in the practices this week, Pete Carroll's going to be all over this defense for this because this is one thing that they need to do. Now, he's going to give them props because three interceptions. Like, we haven't had a ton of interceptions lately, so that's huge. It's nice to get off the schneid there. But, yeah, the other stuff. Yeah, it was good to get Sh- see Sherman get on the board with a couple of picks. Yeah, especially because, like, in the first four passes of the game, he, like, gave up, like, 80 yards. Sorry. I I, <laughs> I, I will just, say it, this. It was a frustrating game for me to watch. Just from like a I love watching defensive tape standpoint, it was very frustrating. Kevin's going to go into the stats, and I was going to wait and do my my two cents after, but I'll just I'll put it right in the middle here. 
a lot of people are talking about how Watson is going to be, you know, the next big name. And I'm inclined to believe that. Look at what Dak Prescott did last year. Everyone talked about how great Dak Prescott was. I think Watson's better. Watson looks a whole lot better. He takes more chances. He delivers on those chances. But he makes mistakes. Like yes, the- but everyone's going to make mistakes. But I want to talk about his positives because this guy obviously made enough mistakes for us to win this game. But he he throws the ball deeper. He takes... Uh, I like his reads better. He takes his reads a bit more seriously than Prescott. And he trusts his wide receivers. Like I I feel like Dak doesn't trust Dez as much as he trusts like Hopkins. And he shouldn't because, let's face it, this is the second point. <laughs> the, the Texans receivers are the truth. You've got Will uh-huh. Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins. We don't know how good Des Bryant is. Des Bryant had two, or I should say one and a half really good seasons. Okay, just because he's on commercials does not mean Des Bryant is good. And he had an all-time quarterback throwing because yes. Tony, uh, regular season Tony Romo, all-time quarterback. Yeah, it's so I believe that the uh, the Texans, the offensive weapons that they have, you know, main receivers, running back, and quarterback, that sets that team up to be dangerous for years to come. And that's what I like about Watson. And I'm not excusing our massive. Uh, you know, allowance of yards, but I get it. That's what I'm saying. Okay, let me let me let me let me throw something at you, Eric. That maybe will get you to think about like maybe the way this team could needs to approach situations like this differently. Okay, because we gave up a 402 yards in the passing game, right? Which you know, you, it sounds bad, right? But 349 of those yards were to two people. Yep. Which is just like unacceptable to me. You can't just let two guys beat you like that. They needed to find a way to make. Let Bruce Ellington, Steven Anderson, Ryan Griffin, make those guys beat you. Don't get beat by DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller. We know those guys are good. We know Will Fuller's really fast. We know DeAndre Hopkins has the best catch radius in the NFL. Like, make other guys beat you, and they just didn't do that. And that's what maybe bugs me the most. It gets my goat that two guys just straight up beat us. Like, they were more talented than us, and that's not true. The Seahawks defense has enough talent to stop guys like that. However, and they just didn't in this game. We did have three interceptions, and I realize that you want to you want to say something like we should have had more, but three interceptions in one game is a lot. And for us to have that, and I know that doesn't really make up for the fact that we let Fuller and Hopkins have such great games, but three interceptions is a lot, and I feel like our defense did their job and not did their job enough. I feel like okay. they did their job. Well, so I have, I have feedback on the interceptions too, like the Earl Thomas interception. Okay, it's a really smart play by Earl Thomas, but like Deshaun Watson's, like he, that's a rookie, that's a rookie mistake. There's no, there's no, he was so dumb to make that throw. It's uh, yeah, the but there's of, a reason why. It's the kind of throw in season four. There's no way that guy's gonna make that throw. He's gonna learn from this mistake. Uh, yeah, he probably would have thrown it away. But the reason why that interception happened was because Frank Clark was busy over there brutalizing Breno Giacomini. Frank Clark had a really good game. Frank Clark had an excellent game, and on that specific play. You could see Deshaun Watson took the hot route, glanced up, saw that he felt Hopkins was open, trusted his arm, and trusted his receiver. Because as soon as he finished his drop, Frank Clark was in his face. He absolutely schooled Breno Giacomini on that play, and he rushed the throw. That was that was Frank Clark's interception that Earl Thomas baited him into by fading back just a little bit. And Frank Clark, I mean, if you gave a defensive a game ball, Frank Clark would definitely be my game ball. Two sacks, nine pressures. Like the guy was in the he was the most effective player on our a third sack called off due to timeout on the first play of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. About that. He set the tone with <laughs> yeah. that hit. He he was he was definitely like try, he was the guy who I thought had the best game out of everyone. On he the killed defense. it in the run game too. Um, and I thought Bennett had a very Bennett game. He had, uh, what, one and a half sacks. He was in on a number of run stops. I thought that was Michael Bennett's best game of the year. Um, he played a, he played a ton of snaps, but he looked fresh the whole game, and he was effective the whole game. Bennett looked good. Um, I thought that... Yeah, I've been saying, like, I was waiting for the defensive line to step up. The defensive line had a decent game in this game. They stopped the run. They they definitely did a good job getting to the passer. It was my most of my problems are with the way that the co- the coverage schemes. I okay, I do not I, think we covered. We did okay. So let's talk coverage scheme. <laughs> that like, that's my that's my review of our coverage. Uh, there's one thing in the coverage scheme. I thought that uh, Jack Griffin was exposed as a rookie on about three plays that went for big gains. Jack I Griffin thought, played every snap, too, just yep. if you're curious. So that's in 68 snaps? 71. 71 snaps. In 71 snaps, I thought he got really exposed three times. So was that 
good? No. But was it acceptable and expectable? Probably. I don't know. I mean, like, the the here's my here's my pushback on that, Kevin. Is that if those plays go for fifty nine yard touchdowns, like I even if it's a if a bad play can't be that bad. He was relying sense? on Earl for the safety top, a safety help over the top, and Earl bit on the run. Yeah. Okay. Let me. Let's, let's and Earl's second. used to being able to catch up with anybody, and Fuller was faster than Earl thought. Exactly. And Earl made a mistake that we, he should never make. We expect Earl to do a little too much, and sometimes it comes back to bite us in the butt. And that play is a perfect example of that. It's like they expected Earl to not only be available to stop the run, but also to help Griffin over the top. It's like you can't do everything. He's good, but he's he's and he's the best, but he's not Superman. Well, yeah, he, he is Superman. <laughs> but he, but humans have limits. He's not the limit. golden age Superman. There's a limit to his to his considerable powers, and he maybe met his limit there. I thought that happened. I thought two of the I thought two of the plays on Sherman, um, the two plays uh, Hopkins made two catches on Richard Sherman. One of them was one of the sickest back shoulder catches I've ever seen in my entire life. I thought it was incomplete Ooh, until he got up. So good. That was. A perfect throw, an amazing catch. Sherman had no shot, no cornerback really had a shot at defending that. And the other one, I thought that Sherman misplayed a ball. Hopkins was playing very handsy, and he he outmuscled him for it. And Hopkins is an elite receiver, and that's going to happen sometimes. Um, I was more frustrated uh in the, I think it was the fourth quarter when Fuller uh, was on a super deep out route and just beat Sherman for yeah. a really long reception. Um, there were a couple of those, but the thing that killed me, and I'll break down the screenplay in a second um, to Hopkins, but there was a consistent thing, and you talked about the scheme. Why in hell did we have a linebacker? Covering DeAndre Hopkins uh-huh. for a significant amount of this game. Who decided that, and why are they dumb? Probably there was that was problems. terrible. Yeah, I get it. There's problems in coverage screening for sure. I totally agree. Hopkins, I think, had over a hundred yards on KJ Wright. Why on earth was KJ Wright covering DeAndre Hopkins? If you're Deshaun Watson and you look up and see Hopkins on a linebacker, hell yes, you're throwing there every time. Every time. And I feel like that had to be Bob O'Brien or Bill O'Brien's, uh, you know, his coaching plan to to see that in the Seahawks defense. Because it's not something new that, you know, we just did for this game. We usually don't have them covering receivers, though. That's if you not look, they true. didn't send out their tight ends very much. <clears throat> and so I think that's what was throwing off the way our coverage was. Well, worked. yeah, like when you, but that's what I'm saying. Bill O'Brien saw, like, put our guys here. And at times, not every single time, but at times you will get the mismatch. And unfortunately for us, I felt that we were mismatched more than we should have been. That like you said, brutal. that had to be a coaching decision or a lack of an adjustment. Maybe a, a, they'll be fine, and ultimately we were, but it didn't look good in the stat column. All right, and then to break down the screenplay. So on Hopkins' touchdown, um, it was an outside screen. Uh, Bennett, and I didn't see, it was either Naz Jones or Reed, got really good pressure. And so at the time that Watson got the ball to Hopkins, they were on the ground. Um, an offensive lineman came out and was blocking KJ one-on-one, which KJ is not going to win against an offensive lineman there. And Coleman got walled off. So Sherman took the outside pursuit. So Sherman angled to the outside, forcing Hopkins back in, which is Sherman's job on that play. Sherman made sure that Hopkins couldn't get to the outside. Unfortunately, Earl Thomas was also on the outside, So that meant when Hopkins cut back inside, there was one person who had a great chance to make a play. That man's name is Brandon Jackson. If you haven't heard that name, that's because he played, I think, six snaps on defense. He was the guy that we needed to make a play on that. He's uh, one of our backup defensive linemen. And it was one of those things where people did their jobs but just the exact wrong breakdown and then angles of pursuit. 
there were some bad angles of pursuit, and no one could catch back up to Hopkins. Like the right play at the wrong time and the wrong rotation for us was a home run? It was an excellent time to call a screen because we were being really aggressive with our pass rush, and it totally bit us on that play. Uh, that was a case where the Seahawks defense was over-aggressive, and over-pursuit killed us there. Uh, we had one guy who was able to make the play, and he couldn't make it. And 72 yards later, uh, everyone got depressed. I mean, let's talk about uh, that score happened at, what was it, 2 minutes and 49 seconds left in the game. So it was 249, 38-34 Houston. Uh, then Seahawks drive down the field. And Russell Wilson throws one of the worst interceptions I have ever seen him throw in my life. Can I? Uh, that was a terrible pick. Can I time out real quick? I turned the TV off because I thought that was game over. It looked like game over. I was pissed. It was awful. It was the worst interception I've. Are we? Yeah. Yeah. I, that yeah. was. It, I've seen it in quite some time. It was clear. He, the, the cornerback read him the whole way. He had inside leverage on. Paul Richardson, and I have no idea what on earth possessed Russell Wilson to throw that football. That's the worst part. But he basically (laughs) threw it straight to Marcus Williams. Marcus Williams ran the route for Paul Richardson. When you said he had the inside route, I was like, yeah, that's from from day one. Mm Mm-hmm. He had the read on the play. He knew exactly what they were trying to do. 100%. I I think it's a quarterback's, uh, (laughs) let's be honest, all of us when we play Madden will do this. (laughs) <laughs> and, and we are not real quarterbacks, but real quarterbacks and uh, armchair, we will do this. And we will not throw the ball out of bounds because there's always a play to be made. And Russ, ultimately, yeah, just throw or, the ball Or we don't bounds. know what button is thrown out of bounds. Yes. Because we don't, we don't, <laughs> Maybe I don't, Russ hit X when I don't he should have hit know. Y. But either way, it's... Uh, Fat fingered it. It, it was... I, I, it's a pride thing, right? It's got to be part of it. I think it was also he... I think he just... It was a bang-bang kind of throw, and he just went to make the play... And it was a terrible throw. And yeah, I thought I was like, of all the ways to lose the game, we're driving for the win. And then the defense holds strong, stops the run, doesn't let him run out the clock. As you said, Pete Carroll's clock management helped us out there. A two-minute warning, man. First down of the two-minute warning. I was like, this is, this is it. This is it. It's over. It, it seems so brutal, but they had to punt it away. They punt it away. One minute, 38 seconds on the clock, 38-34, Houston. The drive to end, to end the game, basically, goes as follows. And tell me how this game, this drive was. All right, first and 10, Seattle 20. Russell Wilson passed complete deep middle to Paul Richardson for 48 yards. Minute nine left, first and 10 on the Houston 32. Penalty on Riso Diombo. False start. At home. Thank you, offensive line, for reminding us you're there. So first and 15 on the 37. Deep left to Tyler Lockett for 19 yards. First and 10 on the 18. Russell Wilson. And Nate, I'll let you take this over. That pass to Jimmy Graham. Yeah, I just like the, the hurry up to the line. Read, make the defensive read. Uh, and honestly, you just that throw is just such a classic like tight end busted coverage throw, right? Like it's the kind of throw that always happens against the Seahawks, like Eric. Yeah, and and they just they nailed it, they crushed it. So it was awesome. It was really good to see. It was really satisfying. Yep. Um, and it's it's exactly the kind of play I've wanted to see us run with Jimmy Graham for the last I don't know however long we've had Jimmy Graham. (laughs) So so it was good to see us move the ball like that. And yeah, I mean the there's an awesome drive. It was awesome quick drive. Um, it left not any time on the clock for Watson to do anything, and then we just sealed the game with a sack. 21 seconds left. Pull off the sack. The sack forces the rush throw on the sec- on second down, and he just lofts it up, and Sherman undercuts the route and makes his second pick of the game, seals it. I mean, there's just not enough. There's not very many plays in the playbook for second and 26 or whatever however yeah. many yards he wanted to get you just you need to chunk too many yards right there they it, it the defense did a good job of closing doors we just took advantage of the rookie at the end of the game which is what you want to see the defense do so all that having been said 
I immediately thought of one game. As soon as this game, like, as the game was going and when it was over. And so I looked it up. The 5-5 five and five Seattle Seahawks, 2015 Seattle mm-hmm. Seahawks, home game against the Pittsburgh Steelers on November 29th. 39-30 in a shootout where we felt like the defense should have played better, where Sherman made a play on a ball, where the big plays happened, and where the team showed they could win in a shootout on their way to a 10-6 and record the year that we uh, made it to the Super Bowl. Made it. I hate that. <laughs> but this was, I don't know. Even though the defense didn't pull it together the way that I wanted them to, this was a big confidence-building win. Throw in the fact that we picked up a real NFL left tackle, and I have not felt better about this team since before the season started. That's fair. Nathan. All right, well, I'm done. I don't, I'm ready to talk about Washington. Let's move on. It's next week. The Washington, D.C. football team. I like the Washington, D.C. football team. I think they're pretty decent, but their offensive line is injured to the point where it is probably much worse than our offensive line, even without Dwayne Brown. Pro Bowl guard, Brandon Scherf, out. All pro, left tackle, Trent Williams, possibly likely out. Solid, right tackle, Morgan Moses, likely out. If not out, dealing with double sprained ankles. That's not good. Yeah, Scherf and Williams like are like day-to-day injury. But every starter on their offensive line is questionable or out last week. Sean Laval, questionable. Morgan Moses, questionable. Spencer Long was out. Brandon Scherf was out. Trent Williams was out. Every single starter on their offensive line was hurt. And that led to them barely losing. Like They still had a chance to win the game, which I think speaks to a couple things. One, Kirk Cousins is really good. And he is able to use all of these different offensive weapons that they have, minus Terrell Pryor Sr. For some reason, they just didn't click. But like Vernon Davis, uh, Jordan Reed, Rob Kelly, Chris Thompson, Jamison Crowder, Josh Doxson, Ryan Grant. He uses all of these guys, and he really spreads the ball around, which I think is pretty awesome. They ha- they use a lot of different weapons, which means it's going to be a full-court press for us on, on defense. we got to figure out a way to stop all of these guys. Yeah, that being said, if you look at it, um, Chris Thompson averages 63 yards per game. Uh, Davis averages 44 yards per game, and all their wide receivers are below that. I was going to say, is there anything in their wide receiving core that you can't sleep on any wide receiving core, but this receiving core is... <clears throat> they have a lot of talent. They just yeah. haven't put it together. Yeah, they can't. They don't have the, uh, the synergy, they, right? They just have not figured out a way to integrate Terrell Pryor into the offense at all. And I don't think Pryor's a great... I don't think Pryor, as a physical matchup, is as dangerous for the Seahawks as he is for other teams. Yeah. Because we have the size at corner and might, we have the athleticism. And he might just be a bad fit, if I'm he being real. He might be real. a bad fit. It might, uh, might be a fit thing. Uh, Chris Thompson, let's, let's cover that. Chris Thompson is a very dangerous runner for Washington. He's a very good... Uh, running back and the Seahawks are first in the league right now and DVOA against running backs negative 54.7%. They've allowed just 32.4 yards per game to running backs. So I really like the the defense matching up with Chris Thompson. I th- this uh, is where I want to see KJ in coverage. I, I want to see them shut him down <laughs> because he is incredibly dangerous. And I, I like us as a possibility of, of shutting him down. Uh, we've given up big runs to running backs this year, but we've really shut other than those couple big plays. We really shut him down. But the big plays are what you got to watch out for when it comes to Chris Thompson. Yeah, so I ho- think I think we have match up well. I think you're right. I'm, I'm really excited to see how we match up. Um, uh, the defense versus their our defense versus their offense. Um, their offensive line's a mess. I'm expecting a lot of pressure on Cousins, and it's just going to be how do we contain the weapons? Is there anything else that I I missed there? Uh, no, I agree with you. Our offense versus their defense. Now they play a base three four defense. Uh, I like a couple of the players they've got. I like Ryan Kerrigan. I think Ryan Kerrigan is actually pretty good. Um, Josh Norman has been up and down, but mostly up at this point. He's, he's also been hurt. He's figured out how to fit into into uh, this. You know, a lot of people said he changed roles when he came to Washington, and now he's not as good anymore. And I think he it just took him time to adjust, right? He's learning a whole new system. He's got to play cornerback a whole different way. He had a really good game last week covering uh, Des Bryant, so yeah. I, I like him. Uh, their safeties are okay. DJ Swearinger, not bad. Uh, 
I th- I think that's a, this is an uh, above av- slightly above average defense. That's where I'd put them right now. The only thing they're not, I, they're not great. Let's just say that. I think the defense is fine. With one thing we're leaving out is the coaching staff. Jay Gruden, this guy can have weeks where he just looks like a genius, and then he can have a game like against the Dallas Cowboys, where he looks like, "What are you thinking, man?" I mean, that game was a torrential downpour, and he kept throwing the ball over and over again. Uh-huh. They never tried to get the running and, game going. Yeah, yeah. they also what well, they did with uh, with uh, Fat Rob Kelly. They were not running the ball with Thompson as much as they've been doing, and I, I kind of hope that they definitely we, relegate him to more of a third down back. Yeah, I hope we get that from, from. I hope we get that Jay Gruden this week. You know, the one thing I want to go back to their defense real quick. Uh, they have Kerrigan and Preston Smith have been there, two people getting a lot of sacks, and uh, Matt Ioannidis. Yeah. We might luck into this because Ioannidis is probably going to be out for this game. And Preston Preston's been battling injuries too. Like he he played in the last game, but he had like a, a injury designation last week. Uh, Preston Smith. He... I was just asking yeah. why Ioannidis yeah, so... is uh, is injured. I didn't know he's injured. Oh yeah, they. Yeah, they, he's battling leg injuries. Yeah, they bring so they have um they have the, the they play the three four and they bring in different guys to play on running and passing downs. Uh, Ionitis like basically only plays passing downs and uh more like mostly he plays all of the passing downs. I, I know who he is. <laughs> I know who he is because he's uh, he's more impressive than I thought when they when they went to that scheme. I mean, they drafted him out of Temple as like a no name school. Uh, Kevin was probably the only person in this room who'd ever heard of him prior to that. Yeah, really cool Temple teams. I enjoyed watching them because uh, Temple had cool players on those teams. They had a yeah. they had a wide receiver who's really good too, right? Yeah, they have a, a Zay linebacker. Jones. Isn't Zay Jones? No, no, Zay Jones is East Carolina. There's a, there's some Temple wide receiver guy. Uh, now I can't remember. Uh, I'm gonna Google it while while we continue to talk though. But they got Ziggy Hoods, their defense or their nose tackle. He's fine. Yeah, um, in general, they just have a solid team. Um, their defense, I thought, was going to be like 20th in the league, and it'd be like 12th in the league. They have a solid defense. This is going to be really interesting to see how Dwayne Brown factors in because if he can keep Kerrigan from going off, then I really like the way our offense matches up. But if for some reason Brown isn't settled in, then I worry about it because. Uh, in the past, in past games this season, a player like Kerrigan, um, this is the game where suddenly he looks like the best defensive yep. lineman in the entire exactly. NFL. And here's the problem is that if we can't get a run game going, like Zach Brown and, and Mason, or Zach Brown especially, he just eats up runs, right? Like that's all he does. He Luckily, just, Mason Foster's on IR, so we oh, lucked out there. Yeah, but I mean, Zach Brown, Zach Brown is a really good run-stopping uh, middle linebacker. He just gets yep. a ton of tackles. And, and 3-4 is good against the run. So they they run a scheme where they can stop the run. If we can't get any kind of run game going, and Kerrigan can just pin his ears back and go after Russell Wilson in every play, it's going to be a huge problem. Yeah. Uh, not not a game ending problem. You know, I, the defense is probably going to be able to do good enough to keep us in the game no matter what, as long as we can control the big plays in terms of Nathan, Chris Thompson. But it'll keep it close scoring in the twenty. I gotta say, gotta watch, gotta watch Chris Thompson, man. That guy is electric with the ball. Nathan, every week this season, you've talked about if so and so on the defense pins their ears back. It could be a tough day for Russell Wilson. I want to say, don't say that this week. We have Dwayne Brown. Right. Honestly, no. This I, is, I, I actually this is agree. the one time we we can hopefully stop saying this. Yeah, you're right. Well, it'll be a big test this week. He has and to if come. it happens this week, yeah, he, has to come, he has to come in and do it right away. Hey, but, man, he did it for every, the Texans last week. Every single week, someone gets like a, like a season best amount of pressures like Clowney last week yeah Clowney's good don't get me wrong but he still had more pressures in the last game than he's had the whole season he had nine of his 33 pressures on the season were in the last game yeah us. yeah we so, made him look like we we made a pro bowler look like hall of Famer. the best yeah we make everyone look like a hall of famer every week and yeah Kerrigan Kerrigan's a terror on the outside and yeah he did get dinged up in the last game so maybe we can hopefully uh you know we can hope produce finest doesn't actually make it to the game but I would rather just try to try Cliff to see Averill, I want him to make it to the game. <laughs> Produce finest. Oh man! All right. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's where I'm at for Washington. Those are my kind of things we should watch. Uh, I think Washington is better than three and four. Like they're better than the record indicates. Uh, not a lot better, just a little. They are a good team that can definitely give us a scare. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the season they get healthy and they are in the playoff hunt. Does that make sense? I think that's absolutely reasonable. Yeah. They 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 might be on the fringes, like they need to win the last two games and they're in the playoffs, kind of thing. Especially if this Zeke Elliott thing tanks Dallas, uh, that 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 could get back in the hunt that way. All right, let's go to picks. Eric, hit us with your pick. All right, I want the Seahawks 
to win big. They deserve a win big. I say Seahawks. Man, the first score that's coming to me is 34, but I don't think it's going to be that high. Seahawks. Seahawks 31. Washington football team 13. All right. I'm going, I'm going 30, old 31 school. was my number two, but I'm gonna go 30. I'm gonna go 31 20. And there's a point at the end of the game where it's like 24 20, and the in the, the Washington has the ball and a big defensive play swings it back for us, and we score a touchdown, and then and then which just it's sweet sailing from there. Uh, Kevin, where are you at? You know, I think that this game we are gonna see a score, and I'm going the opposite of what Nathan just said. I'm going to go with 34 to 20, but it's going to be fourth quarter coasting. Never close. And they score a late touchdown where you're like, ooh, maybe, and then we get a field goal go up from 31 to 20 to 34, 20. You're like, oh, never mind. This is over. All right. Uh, I think it's going to be our first comfortable win of the year. Holy smokes. We are in overtime. Uh all right, let's go ahead and go to the money zone. If you want to support the Seahawks Nest podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. Uh, Patreon members receive an exclusive weekly podcast, which features all of our NFL picks and then holiday specials like this week's Halloween special, where we cover three Halloween movies and then also give recommendations all across the horror spectrum. So if you want to check that out, you can head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. You also can support us by heading to facebook.com slash the Seahawks Oh, no, no. Facebook.com slash The Seahawks Nest and give us a like. Or Twitter.com slash Seahawks Nest and give us a follow. Also, five stars everywhere you can. Uh, also, hit people in the head and tell them you like our podcast. And then say, oh, I didn't mean to hit you in the head. That was dumb. Now you won't like this podcast. All right. Any other things you guys want to say? After that charming advice, we're good. All right. Tweet us, won't you? Uh, oh, you? All right. So we only have <laughs> we only have like three minutes to do movie club and we can go overtime. Yeah, we can go like eight minutes overtime. So maybe we have like ten minutes. That's fine. Uh, all right, so ten minutes. Um, you know, it's it's Halloween, and I've been thinking about candy. Um, so let's do this before we start. What's your favorite Halloween candy, Kevin? Favorite Halloween candy, or just is, candy in general? Uh, favorite Halloween candy is the Reese's peanut butter cup single package, nice and fresh. According to uh, according to Forbes, most unhealthy candy you can eat. I don't care. That's I mean, right. It's candy. That's right. I know. I already that, said I'm eating candy. That's how, you, that's how I know you're a big baller. <laughs> LeVar Ball would be proud. Uh, Eric, how about you? Candy. Uh, Halloween candy. Uh, you know, a fun size candy bar. And I don't mean the teeny tiny bites. I want fun size. Give me Snickers. Give me Twix. Oh, you just like you like that, that tw- the Snickers, Twix, Milky Way combo pack kind of thing? Yeah, but you can keep that Milky Way. The Twix and the Kit Kat are quite good. I agree. Give it to uh, Give it to someone else. Yeah, Kevin doesn't like Snickers. We, we'll, uh, Snickers it's a different podcast. Snickers are fine. I mean, I think Kevin made the right choice with the Reese's. If I'm going to go off grid and not pick Reese's because and make a mistake, uh, I guess I would take <laughs> I would take the strawberry high chew. It's, it's a good candy. Wow. That's a good one. Um, you know, it's that was weird. It's not like any of us said good and plenty or anything. We're we're all good. We're fine all right. So, so so speaking of candy, let's do, let's talk about a movie that uh, that heavily features candy. Uh, the let's talk about Willy Wonka. No, uh, Willy Wonka. Yes, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I had to think about it because Tim Burton made that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. Yeah, and the original um, movie was and the not original only that, book was Charlie. But let's talk about this. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. There is one very scary scene in this movie for a child. Oh when, my goodness! It's so good though. When they, when they, when he's, uh, when uh, Gene Wilder's in the boat and he's singing and there's like strobe lights and like hor- like these horrifying things and Daddy, I want a boat like this. Yeah. At the end, Daddy, I don't want a boat like this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that the movie. So anyway, um, is the deadly reaper mowing? Uh, so. Look, let's let's just go like this, um, Eric. You yeah. start us off because you uh, you probably hit this movie at a different point in your life than us. Maybe I don't know a different point. Yeah. Okay. So I never saw this movie as a kid. I saw this movie with a girlfriend when I was like, wow, twenty. It was a classic that I'd never seen. Blues wow. Brothers. Blues Brothers. The exact same way. Wow. Yeah. Um, I. Damn, I'm in a tight spot. Uh, I feel like what you just like don't remember it or, or no? What? I feel like this movie is great, but I don't have the childhood love for it like everyone else does. Yeah, that's why I kind of wanted to go to you. But first. But I can say that yeah, this movie is great. Although seeing it when I was like 20 for the first time, I was thinking, man, this this movie's really like not for kids. <laughs> and it's funny in the 80s, a lot of movies weren't for kids. There were movies today that 
you know, you probably shouldn't take your eight-year-old to see, and, you know, I saw when I was eight. 1971, LSD's a hell of a drug. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Gene Wilder makes this movie, though. I mean, I don't know who directed Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, I've not seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, I have no desire to see that movie. It was Mel Stewart. Oh, the Mel Stewart. The Mel Stewart. Who also directed other movies, possibly. Let's see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Four days in November about oh, the Kennedy dear, assassination. Dear Lord. Okay, so this movie's uh, this movie's dark. This movie relies heavily on its props, and that is one of the probably outside of Gene Wilder the best thing about this movie. Like you honestly feel oh, like you are effects. you are in this strange land that is just a chocolate factory or a candy factory. Uh, I, that's what I like about the movie. Since you asked. Yeah, um, what what I like about the movie is that it's a solid 10 out of 10 minus one really horrifically bad scene, the Cheer, Cheer Up Charlie. If, if Cheer Up Charlie wasn't a part of this movie, I think it would be my favorite movie. Now, but the fact that I had to fast forward for like six minutes every time I watched this movie was just unacceptable. Is it that it's, it's is just, it just so out of place? It's just boring. The music game is on par in that movie yeah. so like i don't know about you but when the music starts like uh, uh was it pure imagination when he's walking through it or uh the candy man yep. like the music is on par and so when you hear the music you're like ooh, and then you hear the music for that part and you're like ooh, oh god it's weird because it's just boring it feels... she's just like stirring clothes in a giant pot and just like singing this like mopey song about how sad her kid is like and they i took part from rent and threw it into. I want to be offensive and say I didn't like it because it just felt very British. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't like it. something about it. I was like, ugh, this just feels British to me. All right. Well, do you want to hear it? Want to hear what Roger Ebert thought? Yeah, let's hear it's it. the best film of its sort since The Wizard of Oz. It is everything that family movies usually claim to be, but aren't. Delightful, funny, scary, exciting, and most of all, a genuine work of imagination. Willy Wonka is such a surely and wonderfully spun fantasy that it works on all kinds of minds, and it is fascinating because, like all classic fantasy, it is fascinated with itself. I mean, there's no joke for me. This movie only made $4 million in the box office. It's one of the greatest cult movies of all time. Uh, It's a movie that everyone made their kids watch in the eighty, in late eighties and early Mm -hmm. nineties. It's, it's. uh, I'm going to show it to my kids. I think every kid should watch it. Yep. yeah, so it's it's just a really it's a really 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 solid movie, and I think it's super enjoyable. Uh, Gene Wilder, I mean, he makes the movie. Let's be honest. Uh, this, this is a Gene Wilder vehicle. This would not have have ever worked with anyone else. Um, he's just he's a uh, he's perfect. He's perfect in the role. He, he shows every reason why we loved him so much. Uh, and yeah, it's just the movie is is fantastic. It's 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 scrumdiddlyumptious. this movie started uh my love of gene wilder that continues uh i love so many of his movies and so many of his roles and so much of who he was as a person um he made a creative decision in this movie the movie uh the scene in the movie where uh willy wonka is introduced as a character and you know the the factory's been sealed up for decades and he comes out for the first public appearance and they have him in the cane and he's kind of hobbling towards the stage. Oh, yeah. And the cane gets stuck and he grabs for it. And you have this moment where he just looks like this frail older man. And then he does the front tumble and yeah. pops up. So And it's, uh, you know, he all said about he this. wanted to do that yeah. to establish the fact that you never quite know if you can trust him. Yeah, legendarily, he said he, he, he came up with that idea to do that. I'm a cripple and my, my cane gets stuck in the cobblestones and I realize it on my cane and it looks like I'm going to fall over, but then I do a somersault the last second. He said he only took the role because he said I would only take this role if I can do that because I want the crowd to have an intense mistrust of me for the rest of the movie. And like I think that's really cool. That's really it's smart. Perfect. Yeah, he like he knew it. he understood the character, which is like because at the end of the day, like he is kind of a, a mistrustful guy, right? Like Willy Wonka, he only wants these kids to come in, and he wants to find someone that he can you know pass his candy factory on to or whatever. But he doesn't trust any of them to not be just like horrible, spoiled, rotten kids, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, he, and what's the line? Uh, I wanted a kid to come do it because an adult will come in and do it their way. But a kid will come in and do it my way. 
Interesting. And it's like, yeah, that's a great friggin' Plus, line at the there's end. There's just so many good scenes in this movie. When the kid oh. turns himself small into the TV, when the girl is, turns into a blueberry. blueberry. Like, it's just, like, <laughs> there's just when so... the kid gets stuck in the tube because he's too fat. Yeah. Yes. And greedy. Uh, Augustus Svitat, save some room for later. That's like, he's just said <laughs> a bunch of times in that movie. It's so funny. Uh, the TV reports, like the super campy TV reports where they have, where every time one of the golden tickets is found. Um, letting the kids out, the schoolmaster Kevin. That was world building. Now let and me be, it worked. Let me be real it was here. Really good. Yeah. Let me let me give let me give one uh, one feedback. Jack Albertson, uh, Uncle uh, Grandpa Joe. Yeah. Okay. I think he's a really good. Does a really good job acting in this movie. But the character itself, I have a problem with. You can't get you can't get out of bed. You're making people like wait on you hand and foot, and then all of a sudden. Like, oh, someone has something cool happen, and now you just jump out of bed, and you're like, I can come with you. That's the roll dolliest Dog, thing ever. Dog, the, the mom should have gone with him or something. Like, <laughs> it's messed up. It's super messed up. I was like, I was very, uh, I'm very uh, frustrated with Grandpa Joe. I think Grandpa Joe, he should he didn't deserve it. He made people, like, sponge bath him for, like, years, <laughs> and then, then now he gets to go to the chocolate factory? Not cool, Uncle so, Joe. Uh, not Grandpa Joe, not cool. Really quick, Nate, I don't know about you, but my experience, and you may remember this, because you probably watched it with me when we were kids, um, this is one of those uh, couple of VHSs that my brother and I had that we watched and reround so many times, we broke the VHS. Like, I have probably seen this movie... Uh, in the way that only a young child can, between 80 and 100 times in my yeah, life, easily. I agree. I'm the same way. I've and seen it a bunch of times. Probably multiple times at your house. Probably. probably when we were kids. And the thing about this movie, there's so many great scenes, great lines. Like, as a teacher of elementary school kids, I couldn't tell you how many times that if I'm joking around admonishing a student, the term you stole fizzy lifting drink and bumped into the ceiling, which must be washed and sterilized, you lose, sir! You get nothing! will find its way into the conversation because it's a great line. Yeah. It's a great line. <laughs> um, so, all right. So, yeah, we recommend that you uh, make your kids watch Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory. You satisfy your cinematic sweet tooth. Yeah, exactly. You you enjoy your Halloween candy. With this uh, fine right. confection. And then, and then uh, as a bonus to those who stuck with it, uh, rapid fire round, your favorite non-scary Halloween movie for the kids. Uh, Ke- Eric. Ooh, I'm going first. Um, Monster Squad. All right. <laughs> Kevin. Uh, I'm going to have to go with... This is really hard. Go, you go first. All right, I'm gonna go Beetlejuice, although it is scary. <laughs> Be- That's Beetle. a great movie, but, it's, but I think you could watch it with your family. It's not that scary. It's not it's, scary. It's PG rated. And what's his real name? It'd be scary for like for like six year olds though. Uh, it's definitely a better Tim Burton movie than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's a fact. Um, all right, all right. If I'm gonna go with it, um, I actually like the uh, Casper movie from the mid '90s. That was okay. a charming movie. Yeah, it's not bad, and it's a good introduction to a character who has some great Christmas specials. All right, and um, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna find some haters. I don't really like Hocus Pocus that much. All right, for Kevin Garber, <laughs> for Eric Ronnebeck, I'm Nathan Santo, and we will see you next week. Go Hawks! <laughs>